ever since James began his letter, he's been talking to us about faith. And today, James speaks about faith that saves. That's the faith you want, right? I mean, you don't want a faith that doesn't save. Some people do. Some people want a faith that doesn't make demands upon them. It's easy. You believe X, Y, and Z, and that's what you believe. And it's lovely, and it doesn't affect your life, and who cares? That faith doesn't save you. The faith that does save you is not easy because it makes demands upon your life to respond in a useful, visible, and costly way. Now, anything less than this faith that saves is invisible. It's powerless, it's insensitive, and it's dead. Only faith in Jesus that is put into practice saves. So we're reading in James chapter 2 from verse 14. What is a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is the profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered Isaac his son on the altar, do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, then, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we begin with verse 14, where James says, Faith is useful because it produces good works. You have to ask, what are works? What is James referring to when he says 
You need works. They are the results of believing Jesus. Faith begins by hearing the word of God. This is what God says. This is what he is saying to you. You believe that it is God speaking. And then you act upon it because you believe that's what God is saying. So you hear the word of God. You say, oh my goodness, that's God. And then you respond to it. It begins with the gospel and our response to that. Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins and he rose again from the dead. He's coming to the earth again to judge in righteousness. Now the response to this word of God is that we're to turn from our own way receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and flee from the wrath to come. And then we are to be doing what God wants, not what we want. James has just talked about this with the royal law of liberty. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's because we believe the word of God that we do these things. So James brings up this situation. A fellow believer, a brother or sister, doesn't have clothing, doesn't have daily food. And Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, this is useful for everybody. Obviously, it's useful to that brother or sister who doesn't have the food and the clothing. It relieves physical suffering. It relieves mental stress, worry, shame. But you know, it's also useful for the one who gives that food and clothing. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about this offering that he was collecting for the poor believers in Jerusalem. And he says about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Now, what abundance did poor believers in Jerusalem have? And what was the need of the Corinthian church? The Corinthians had a spiritual need to lay up treasures in heaven. And the poor believers in Jerusalem had a supply of opportunity for the need of the Christian, the Corinthians. So when the believers in Corinth gave to the believers in Jerusalem, it supplied both of their needs. 
the need of the Corinthians to be fruitful, the need of the believers in Jerusalem for practical necessity. And you know, everybody's need was met. Everybody wins through faith in Jesus being applied applied practically. But then doing nothing is of no value to anyone. The believer keeps on suffering, and you keep your money or your clothing or your food or whatever, and you'll use it eventually, but you miss on an opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven. Now, what's going to happen when you get there? What's going to be waiting for you when you go to stand before Jesus? And James asks this really uncomfortable question. Can that kind of faith save you? And the expected answer in the original language is no, it cannot save you. So faith is good because it's useful to everybody, to others and to myself. Now, In verse 17, he says, if faith is by itself, it's dead. And that's not good. Faith is supposed to be alive. Now, I looked up in the dictionary the definition of dead. And I was surprised and interested. There are words associated with dead. It means inactive, unresponsive to stimuli non-operational, inert, idle, unproductive, where there's no action, no response, that's death. Which means faith is alive. It's active. It does something in response to changes in the environment outside. It's effective. It does something. That's the definition of life. Now, works apart from faith are dead too. Faith without works is dead. So are works without faith. Because we have this funny sentence here in verse 18. And it's really been a problem because a lot of people don't know what to do about it. That is, they say, you have faith and I have works. And it's as if these two ideas could be standalone concepts. You have faith and I have works kind of thing. As if to say, well, James, you're one of those religious guys. You're kind of a a booky kind of academic guy that likes to study and pray and do all those, you know, religious things. I mean, talk about theology and, and somehow you, you have fun doing that, don't you? But I'm a not a book kind of guy. I'm a doer. Kind of like in the Westerns, you know. Listen, Padre. 
I'll lay the bricks that make the buildings, and I'll shoot the guns that defend us, and you go over there and pray and don't get in our way, okay? Kind of like, you're kind of useless. So get over there and get out of our way, and you just pray, and I'm a doer. Well, here's a problem. With that kind of a mental separation, eh, go faith or go works. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can do good works and be saved. Doing good things are not a replacement for putting your trust in Jesus and in what he did on the cross. You can't come to God and say, well, I did this good thing and this good thing and this good thing. How am I doing? God says no. In no way. Because the Bible says that all of our good works are like filthy rags. Of what value is a filthy rag? It's certainly not a present that's going to make someone feel fabulous about you. Like, wow, what a filthy rag. Wow. What a neat person you are. No, they would just look at that and say, okay, it's filthy, it stinks. So I'm supposed to be impressed? And that's what our righteousness is before God. Our righteous works don't count. And all of these works that we do so that God accepts us are called in Hebrews Chapter 6, verse 1, dead works. And what we're supposed to turn away from is dead works. So there's, there's no way to have faith and works as kind of like alternatives. Eh, if you're not that mystic kind of guy, do something practical for God, it's good enough. No such thing. You have to know God and... You have to obey God. Now, what James here says is faith is visible. You can see faith and you must be able to see faith because he says, show me your faith without your works. Okay, you've got faith. Let me see it. Well, why, why do you want to see it? I believe it. Isn't that good enough? James says, no, I want to see it. Without something to show, faith is invisible. And an invisible faith is like no faith at all. Now, you know that the irony here is that we have a lot of invisible things to deal with in Christianity. We believe in a God that we read about, but we've never seen him. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead. We've never seen him. And there's lots of other things like that in the scriptures. Angels. Demons. All kind of things that we read about, but you can't see them. 
But here, it says that you can see faith and you have to be able to see faith. Because the proof of these invisible things is your life. Your life changes when Jesus comes to live in you. So you believe this, that Jesus was judged in your place and condemned. That means there's no more condemnation for you. You are in Christ. You are going to be transformed into his image when you see him. You're going to be immortal and glorious for the first time in your life. Now, the visible work that you do because you believe that is that you're happy. And you don't walk around with this burden of sin on you because you realize Jesus has taken my burden. I don't have to walk around feeling guilty. So that should be visible. Don't you look happy when you're happy? Do you kind of do, do the opposite, the anti-smile when you're happy? No, you walk around happy. Woohoo! And somebody says, well, what are you on about? See, it's visible. More than that, you stick up for people. You stick up for people who can't stick up for themselves, like the unborn. You share your belongings with people. You help people in trouble. You love people around you. You persevere even when people oppose you and slander you. You talk about Jesus to people who might want to hear about him and might not want to hear about him. You do good things. And when somebody says, what a good person you are, you say, ah, it's not me. I'm not that nice a person. It's because I believe in Jesus and he lives in me. See, all that is visible and audible. And you make the invisible Jesus visible. Now, if there is no Jesus visible in your life, how would you show anybody your faith? Now, it's possible to say, I am a person of faith. But if you don't act in a way that shows that faith, what difference does it make? And I got that phrase from watching part of the vice presidential debates in the United States. And I saw the Democratic candidate for vice president, Kamala Harris, say, I am a person of faith. I go, well, that's cool. That's neat. So we should be able to look at Kamala Harris's life and see the reality of what that faith means. So anybody who wants to can look at her life and say, okay, do we learn anything about God while we look at Kamala Harris? 
Does her life point to anything about God? Doesn't matter what God, what faith, what does her life give evidence of? And if her life gives no evidence of any influence of God, what do we say? What is her faith worth? Is that faith going to save her? I don't know. I'm not God. But James says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. He says, I will make what I believe visible to you so that you can see that Jesus is alive from the dead and he's living in me. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And James's point is, anyone can say they are a person of faith. But biblical faith in Jesus Christ is the only faith that can make a visible change for good in someone's life. And then James says here, Faith is the right content and the right response to that content. Now, that's pretty awkward, isn't it? Let's rephrase that. Faith believes the word of God and acts upon it. He says in verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good for you. That is the word of God. That's content. It's from Deuteronomy 6. It's the declaration of faith. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's the right content. Our faith has facts and history and ideas and concepts. If you don't have this right, your faith is not biblical. And then you have to act on that word of God. You have to respond rightly to the truth. And in Deuteronomy 6, the right response is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, look at what he says here in verse 19. You do well, even the demons believe and tremble. Now, the demons believe that God is one. As far as that goes, they have the correct biblical content. But then they have the wrong response. They shudder in terror. They continue to do what they want to do in rebellion against God. And they shudder because they know that they are going to go to hell for their disobedience. But they're stubborn. They continue in their disobedience. That is the wrong response. 
Now, if you say you believe, but you don't follow through with the right response to your faith, your faith is the same as the demons who are going to hell. That faith cannot save you. So the main point in this is that faith is made complete only as it is used. And James gives here two examples of people in the Old Testament who believed God, that is, had the right content, and then they acted upon it. That's the right response. And he gives the first example here of Abraham, who is called in the Bible the father of all who believe. And James brings up this work that Abraham accomplished when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Now, let me just say here that this is in response to the word of God. God said, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice to me on the place that I will show you. No sane parent would ever say, hmm, I'm going to do a good work for God. I tell you what, I'm going to take little Billy and I'm going to sacrifice him and burn him on a rock to God. That's crazy. This was done only in response to the word of God. Abraham heard that word and he knew that it was God speaking and he acted upon it. Now, what needs to be said is that this is not the first time that the word of God ever came to Abraham, and it's not the first time he ever responded to it. You know, the word of the Lord came to Abraham while he was in Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia, saying, I want you to leave everything and go to a place that I'll show you. And when Abraham finally did obey God, and it took a while, then he says, I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to give you descendants. And in your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, Abraham is 75 years old and he says to God, I don't have a son. How, how is this going to happen? And God says, come on outside, look up at the sky. Do you see those stars? Go ahead and count those stars. Your descendants will be more in number than the stars. Now that is where the scripture says in verse 23, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's called justification by faith. Merely believing God's word makes a person righteous before God. Abraham didn't do anything. He believed God. Now, 25 years later, God fulfills his promise and gives Abraham a son. 25 years later. What was Abraham doing for 25 years? Paul says in Romans 4 what he was doing. This is what it says. 
without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, on the basis of what God said, Abraham practiced the outcome of his faith. That is, he says, okay, I'm going to have a son. Thank you, God, for my son. And this was a daily practice of trusting God. He was thanking God and worshiping. I'm going to have a son. Do you have a son yet? Nope. He's on the way. How do you know? Well, God told me. He can't lie. So, you know, yeah, I am getting older. I get that. But God said, bottom line. So, 25 years later, Abraham has a son. Now, he offered up Isaac 30 years after that. That's 30 more years of walking with God, listening to God, obeying God. So this one act of hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God is the result of over 55 years of listening and obeying. And it wasn't just this huge step. The first step is huge, but it's like, okay, I know God by experience. He promised this son, and I've got this son. And now death can't be the end of him. Because that is the child of promise. God must raise him from the dead. That's the only thing I can think of, but I'm going to do this anyway. God said, and see, that's the point. That's what God wanted to do. And that's what happened. Because just as he's about to kill Isaac, God says, don't do it. Okay, I'm going to obey the word of God there too. And then he says, look, and there is a ram stuck in a thicket with its horns. And he says, go offer that instead. There's a substitute. My son is back from the dead now, and this substitute is offered in his place. Do you see, Abraham? Do you see what's going on? Your son, your only son, whom you love, was for all intents and purposes dead for three days, and now you receive him back from the dead? Do you see? Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. And he rejoiced. Do you see? Well, then the second example that James gives is completely outrageous, don't you think? We go from the father of those who believe to Rahab the harlot. Now, you know, it says here, she was justified by works. Because she believed the word of God and she acted upon it. 
Now, she didn't hear very much. This is the crazy thing. She didn't get chapter and verse and scrolls and Bible studies and everything. All she heard was what all of the city of Jericho heard was that God had delivered Israel out of Egypt miraculously and God was going to give Canaan to Israel. That's all they knew. And all of Jericho was terrified. But you know, Rahab is the only one who acted on what she knew. When those spies came to her, she said, you know what? I know that God is going to give you the land. I know everybody here is a dead person, including me. Let's make a deal. If I, if I cover you guys up and, and keep you guys from getting killed, will you save me? Will you save my family? And they said, okay, you got a deal. Identify your place with this red rope here. And if we don't see this red rope, doesn't matter. You're dead. So make sure that red rope there is tied in the window and you're okay. Now that's it. But she has nothing in her favor, nothing to offer to God. She is not even a man. She's a woman. Let's hear it for female empowerment here. (laughs) But in this culture, man, she doesn't even count. She's a prostitute on top of that. No job satisfaction here, folks. She's a foreigner. No relation to God's people whatsoever. No promises. No reason for God to save her. She heard a garbled report of what was going to happen. But she believes it. She says, I am a dead person if I don't do something. Now, everybody else in Jericho heard that. She's the only one who acted on it. And because of that, she was saved. Her faith saved her because she acted on it. Now, as you go further in the Bible, you realize who she married, the leader of the tribe of Judah. And then she becomes the great grandmother of David, king of Israel. And then you read in Matthew chapter 1 that she's in the lineage of the Messiah. That worked out pretty good. (laughs) Faith acted upon saves. And James says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. They belong together. If you believe then you're going to do. And if you don't do, you don't believe. So what is our big problem when it comes to faith? One problem is we don't know what to believe. And the second problem is that we know what to do, but we don't do it. And you think, well... This is a big problem because if we don't act upon our faith and obey God, our faith is not going to grow. And it's kind of a catch 22, isn't it? We're afraid to obey God because we don't know what's going to happen. 
And our faith won't grow if we don't obey God. So what are we going to do? Well, the answer is, and you're not going to like this, I'm sorry. But the answer is, you got to learn what God says and do it anyway. There isn't anything else. Now think of the worst case scenario, right? If God doesn't come through, I'm dead. That's about as bad as it gets, don't you think? Studio audience? I think I killed them. I think they're dead. But that's basically it. And you see that happen in the Bible too, you know. Esther says it. If he if if the king holds out the golden scepter to me, I'm going to live. But if I if he doesn't, I'm dead. But I'm going to die anyway. So if I die, I die. So think about worst case scenario and then obey God anyway. Maybe you get killed. But here's the amazing thing that's going to happen to you. God does what he says he's going to do. You obey God, then God does his word. And you get to experience the fact that God is really faithful. And you know, nobody starts out as a believer in Jesus, fully formed, fabulous faith. We do it all. Nobody. Because we don't know God. And it's really hard to trust somebody when you don't know them. It's really hard. It's scary. It's weird. But if you know somebody, it's a lot easier to trust them. So what you do is like Abraham. See, God started him off right on the bottom and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at those stars. Try to count them. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Wow. And now I want you to walk with me. I want you to listen to my voice and I want you to do it. And we're going to do things. And there might be trials. There might be difficulties. You might think, whoa, if, if I know God, this shouldn't be happening. All those wealth and health guys say that if I have faith, then I'm not going to have any problems. I'm never going to get sick. Life is going to be a gas. Well, those health and faith, faith guys aren't true. Doesn't match up with the Bible. God says, we're going to have little difficulties. And you're going to see, I'm going to bring you through all of those so that you know, I am faithful to my word. You're going to know it by experience. So when the time comes for you to offer up Isaac, you know. You can obey me. You can do everything I'm calling you to do because you already know me. And you don't have to have all the details how it's going to work out. That's God's problem. All you got to do is do the next thing that he's telling you to do. And then you know what? God's going to say, well done. Well done. 
Now, you know, there's a lot of this in the Bible that's already written out. Already written out. It is clothing those who need clothing and feeding those who need food and giving to those who are in need. And Jesus says, you know, to the extent that you've done this to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. You are laying up those treasures in heaven that will be waiting for you when you get there. You believe God. And you're going to have a a visible faith, a useful faith, a living faith, an active faith. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, James has a way of really convicting us of what we know to be true in our hearts. We know, we believe, but then we don't do, which means we really don't believe and we really don't know. But we do want to come to you and pray that you would teach us the same way you taught Abraham. Step at a time. Difficulty after difficulty. To see that it doesn't matter that it's difficult, you're still with. Doesn't matter that it's hard, but you're faithful. And so you're able to overcome all of our difficulties, all of our weakness, all of our fears. You want us to know you. And then you want us to be that light of the world, that city on a hill that cannot be hid. The visible proof that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Do that in us. Help us to respond to your word, even if we're afraid. Do a great work in us. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would know you by doing that first step of surrendering to you and receiving Jesus into their hearts. That's where faith starts. So bring people to do that today. Help them to do the scary thing. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, go with God. Love everybody.